morning, church. Happy Easter. Our scripture, scripture reading comes from John 20, verses 1 through 11. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Zion. He is risen. He is risen. And once more, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Well, beloved, we're so glad that you are here with us for this sunrise service. And the, the, the setting is a little bit different than perhaps uh, what was planned a week ago or uh, however, whenever you made the decision to come to the sunrise service. But nonetheless, we gather these early morning hour to expectantly run to the church in a similar way as Mary, Peter, and John, the other disciples did that first Sunday, Easter Sunday morning. Now, what I'm about to share may seem a bit macabre, but I believe it's the, the inevitable or the proverbial, rather, uh, elephant in the room that we must address. And where is it that Mary and these disciples ran to? They ran to a tomb. They ran to see a bloodied and battered body. Now, I don't know what your relationship is like with death and with cemeteries, but I know as a kid, cemeteries terrified me because I hadn't experienced death of a loved one not much later into my adult years. Most of my understanding of death was based on movies, and scary stories. But now as an adult who continues to mourning, uh, who continues to mourn the death of, of grandparents, even parents, friends, former students, cemeteries and memorial parks are a place of remembrance. It's a, a, a place to process grief. It's a physical place to go and perhaps even to touch and to hold onto the memory of loved ones. And I see this nearly every day whenever I pass the local memorial park near my house. Inevitably, in this vast green space, I will see pockets of individuals and of families gathered around a tombstone to remember, to grieve, to be comforted, to pray, and to hope for something. My heart aches every time I see this. When you're confronted with grief and with sorrow, what do you do? 
Where do you go? Because I believe in all of us, in different but perhaps even in similar ways, we yearn and we long for something greater. We long for meaning. We long for significance to, hope, to find hope in a very hopeless and desperate place. So as we gather this Easter morning, let's wonder together anew at daybreak the wonder of the empty tomb. Whatever the reason it is that you're here, maybe you're here out of an act of devotion because it doesn't, um, maybe typically you're not up this early on a Sunday morning for church. Maybe it's an act of tradition. We've always done this and so we're going to go to the sunrise service. And maybe for some of you, you're here out of obligation. You had to come. Whatever that reason may be. I ask you, would you stop? Would you be curious? And perhaps if you are confused, would you seek to find an answer in the empty tomb? So who are you? Why are you here? And what are you here to do? I think we see this several ways in this passage in John 20. And we're going to look just real quickly at four responses of the individuals mentioned here in the passage that Zion read, but then also in the ensuing verses. And so first, let's look at Mary. We see Mary, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Well, first of all, who was this Mary Magdalene? Well, if you look back in Luke chapter 8, she was someone whom Jesus healed where seven demons were cast out of her. Mary would have been considered a social outcast because she was a woman. But then she was also tormented. And then Jesus heals her. That stigma, though, however, would have stayed with Mary. And what does Jesus do? He welcomes her into the community of believers who are devoted to Christ. And you see this because she calls her rabbi. Mary Magdalene is the only person who is mentioned by name in every resurrection account. And notably, each time what we see is that the women are at the tomb first. So what was her response? What did she do? Well, she was devoted, wasn't she? How do we know this? Well, we know because she woke up early and ran to the tomb because they couldn't do anything the day before, right? You remember two days before on Good Friday, Jesus is brought and tried, and then he's crucified, and they had to hurriedly take his dead body down to place him into the tomb because the Sabbath day was the next day. And the Sabbath began when night fell on Friday. And so you can imagine Mary. Wait, we hurried this death process, this burial process. As soon as the Sabbath is over, I am going to go and prepare his body. We were going to finish preparing her, his body. Her response was one of devotion. Right? Mary is a woman who followed Jesus to the literal grave. Christ gave Mary healing and purpose in life. And so, no wonder, no wonder she goes in an act of devotion to finish that process. But then what does she do in verse 2? She sees that the tomb is empty and she runs to tell the other disciples. Not to say that Jesus rose from the dead. What does she say instead? They they have taken his body. We don't know where they have laid him. His body is gone. She wasn't expecting a physical resurrection. She was expecting to see a dead, beaten, battered, bruised, pierced, bloodied body. 
But that's not what she found, is it? Nobody to finish preparing meant no more devotion to give to Christ for her. And so she waited. She was devoted. She was also distressed, right? We see this in her urgency of running to tell the disciples of what they have done, what the, what the government had done, what the Romans had done, perhaps, what the fairies have done, perhaps, or those opponents to Christ, what they had done. They've taken him out of the tomb, and we do not know where his body is. Again, she wasn't expecting a resurrection. She went to tell them that the body of our beloved teacher is gone. And so she's confused. And there we see in verse 11, Mary stands weeping outside the tomb. Mary's thinking only in a human framework, not a heavenly one. She came to claim and care for her body. Instead, she was confronted with the resurrected Christ and she was left in tears and confusion. That's Mary. What about Peter and John? We see a little glimpse of their relationship here in these first 11 verses, right? Who are they? Peter and John were disciples of Jesus, not only two of the 12, but also two of the inner three that Jesus had along with James. Who was Peter? Matthew 16 says that Peter is, and this is Jesus' words himself, saying, on you, Peter, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And if you know anything about the 12 disciples, you know that Peter is prominent, perhaps the most prominent of all the disciples. You see his name mentioned over and over again in the gospel accounts. And then you have John, the way that he is described in his own gospel that he writes. How does he call himself? The disciple whom Jesus loved. These two individuals had a very close and intimate relationship with Jesus. What was their response? When Mary comes to them, what do they do? They run. They run because they are curious. Is what Mary's saying true? We must go find out. Peter, we don't hear of him at the crucifixion. The last time we hear of him, you know where that is? In the temple courtyard. Having denied Jesus the third time, then he runs out weeping. John, on the other hand, we see him at the foot of the cross. So they're curious. What could Mary possibly be talking about? What could have happened to Jesus' body? They were not only curious, but they're also confused. Look at what it says here again. In the text, right, they ran together. The other disciple outran Peter, reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon comes and follows and went into the tomb and then together they look at the linen cloths lying there the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths but folded up in a place by itself and then what does it say in verse 8 he saw and he believed and then verse 9 so crucial for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead it's similar if you've ever worked on a puzzle, especially if you don't have the box, how confusing that puzzle is. You know that there are pieces that ought to go together. You know the edge pieces. You know the corner pieces. You start there, and then you work your way in. You sort by color. You sort by what you think the image is, and the puzzle comes together. 
and what satisfaction there is when you place that final piece and you, with relief, understand what it is that you've been working on. Peter and John, they were curious. They were left confused because they hadn't been expecting Jesus to be risen from the dead. Even though Jesus told them this plainly, John 14, just as several chapters before our text here, it says this, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It is almost as if Jesus had everything planned out. He did have it all planned out. What did Peter and John do after this? Did they marvel? Did they go to the Pharisees and to the Romans and say, I told you so? No, they went back home. There were more people to tell. And I think there was still a lot more fear and confusion and curiosity that needed to be addressed. We didn't read about him, but if you look later in the text of John 20, you, saw, you also see famously, perhaps, the story of Thomas. What was his response? What was his reaction? Well, who was Thomas? Thomas literally means the twin. You see this uh, description every time you see Thomas mentioned by name. And he was a disciple who had incredible zeal for the Lord, incredible uh, uh, fervor for the mission of Jesus. We see this in John 11, right? So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go with Jesus to see Lazarus. Why? that we may die with him. Now, whether Thomas was talking about Lazarus or Jesus, we're not sure. But either way, when you start saying things like, I will die with you and for you, that is an act of incredible zeal and devotion. Is it not? It is. I highly doubt hardly any of us in here have said, I will die for you. And yet, what was his response? When he missed out on Jesus coming to the disciples, what does he say? Well, if you have your, your Bibles, you can, can see this. It, it says that in verse 24, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, we have seen the Lord. And then Thomas says, unless I see his hands and a mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is not someone who says, yeah, 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 whatever. Thomas is not like me when my children come to me to tell me something very important. Dad, I got something very important to tell you. Because usually I ignored them. He responds not by indifference. Thomas doesn't respond with, okay, pat you on the head, let's go. You guys are delusional. You've had a very stressful few days. Uh, you guys are clearly haven't uh, probably eaten and drank enough. You guys should probably go rest, do some self-care. Uh, and, you know, you'll come to your senses. Thomas says, unless I put my finger, I want to poke the holes, his wounds. Who says that? Only someone with incredible zeal and passion. And what happens? Eight days later, verse 26, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them, and although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. And he says, peace be with you. This is actually the second time Jesus encounters the disciples. The second time he says, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, can you imagine locking eyes with Jesus at this moment? Thomas knows what he said. And he 
makes a gaze. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it on my side. I don't believe Jesus does this in a way so as to make fun of Thomas or to make Thomas feel bad like I know in my human flesh I would. He says instead, Thomas, I want you to believe. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas responds in the way that I think is most appropriate, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So Thomas, he reacts very ferociously and he doubts. And Jesus confronts him and he urges him, do not disbelieve, but believe. We can continue on as we study the Gospels about the reactions to the resurrection, but I don't think we can leave this text until we consider deeply this other character that's deeply integrated into this story. And that person is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Just using the Gospel of John alone, it is said of Jesus in John 1.29, he's the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Multiple times, in fact, he is mentioned as the Lamb of God, which in and of itself is a fulfillment of a prophecy hundreds of years before from Isaiah, that the Lamb of God would come to take away the sins of the world. What do the other disciples say? Nathaniel in 149 says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. Not just the Lamb of God, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. So Jesus is not just some side character, an NPC that shows up in the story. He is the story. He is everything. And Jesus, in fact, and I love the Gospel of John for this because it is so well written, so, so, uh, so well, um, so beautifully written. And we see this seven times Jesus declares, I am. And what are these statements of Jesus? You may know them well. He says, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door or the gate to the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, he says in John 11. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I am the true vine. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is that John has been talking about for 20 chapters. This is the Jesus who Mary forgot. And that Peter and John and their curiosity and their confusion that they forgot this is the jesus that thomas disbelieved what was jesus's response to his own death well he defeats it right john 11 he says this when raising lazarus from the tomb he's talking to to mary and to martha jesus says i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who believes who lives and believes in me shall never die Again, they missed it. The disciples missed it. Those closest to Jesus missed it. They didn't fully understand that Jesus was dropping these hints all along. I am going to die, but I'm also going to conquer death itself. Another thing that we see Jesus doing, especially here in this passage, and I love this and do not miss this, he calls Mary by name. Let's go back 
to verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood up to look into the tomb, almost in disbelief. Where is this body? And he saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She didn't know. She said, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And when does she realize that Jesus is standing there with her? Jesus says, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Again, Mary's confused. Supposing Jesus to be the gardener, she said, sir, did you take him away? Tell me where you've laid him, and I will take care of his body. Again, she's not expecting a resurrected Christ. And then Jesus says, Mary. And her eyes open, her ears unblock. And she turns and says to Jesus in Aramaic, Rabboni. Don't miss the significance of this. Jesus calls Mary by name. The same God who knows every hair on our head, who it is, of, is said of him in John chapter 10, I know my sheep and they know my voice. Jesus realizes, or Mary realizes it's Jesus after he calls her by name. And so I ask you, is Jesus calling your name? Is he just a person or a gardener to you at this point? Or is he Lord? C.S. Lewis famously said in Mere Christianity, he posits this, um, this argument for the existence of God. And he says, Jesus is either who he says he is, Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. He's delusional. He can't be all of these things, and he can't be none of these things. He's only one of these things. So, who is he to you? We also see him delicately, caringly shepherd his disciples. We don't have time to go into this, but we see this on the seashore, do we not? When Jesus returns and he appears to both Peter and to the rest of the disciples along with many others. So what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? How do we apply this text and, in, and this, even this, uh, this story, this resurrection story, this account rather, this testimony? Well, I think I've got four questions for us to really grapple with. The first one is this. Are you curious about the empty tomb? Are you curious? Whether you are a new believer, whether you are a believer of many, many decades, or maybe you're someone still investigating still curious about who Jesus is and the claims of the gospel, I challenge you, allow yourself to ask questions. Ask questions. Read scripture and ask God to help you to understand. But don't let this be a task that you do on your own. Don't walk alone. Walk with somebody else. Invite someone in to those questions. And perhaps you already have people who are asking you to ask those questions. Maybe go to them first. In Luke 24, we see an incredible story. This is, again, post-resurrection of two disciples who walk together toward a village called Emmaus. Verse 14 of Luke 24 says, And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. The two disciples did. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew near to them. 
And again, their eyes were not fully opened, in a sense. And Jesus draws near to them. And they start talking about what has happened. And Jesus asks them, well, what happened? And they're like, are you the only person who has no idea what just took place over the last couple of weeks? And they begin to tell him what had happened. And then Jesus goes on to tell them about what had happened. Starting with Moses and the prophets, it says. Then you skip all the way down to verse 31. And their eyes were open and they recognized who Jesus was. And they said to each other in verse 32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Ask those questions and walk with someone and be curious about the empty tomb. Secondly, and, and similarly, are you confused about the empty tomb? Well, we've got an incredible, incredible opportunity. And especially if you are close to Perimeter Church, I highly, highly encourage you to start coming to Investigative Forum starting next week or on April 16th, 1045 in the gym. It'll be a phenomenal way. Maybe you are walking with someone who has expressed curiosity and confusion of the, with the gospel and the resurrection account. Invite them to if. Let this be another place where Jesus could possibly be calling their name towards salvation. How are you walking faithfully alongside others to lead them to Jesus? That we may be more and more like Thomas and heed Jesus' words of not to disbelieve, but to believe. Third question, and this is more applicable for those of you who, who walk with Jesus who would call him Lord and Savior. We didn't spend much time in this, but do Jesus' words of peace resonate with you? Again, when he meets the disciples and when he confronts Mary and even when he confronts Thomas, there is a message of peace, of restoration, of wholeness that comes. Because remember, what were the disciples doing immediately after Jesus' death? They locked themselves up in a room and they hid away. They were afraid. They were scared. They responded appropriately to death. When was the last time you felt like just locking yourself away in a room, hiding under the sheets? I can't deal with this today. Perhaps you're walking through that now. Well, I have a message for you from Jesus himself. Peace be with you. And Jesus says, himself says, peace I leave with you. Verse John 14, 27. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives you peace. Let not your hearts be troubled, let, neither let them be afraid. And then John 16, 33. I have said these things to you, that he must die and go before the Father and that the Holy Spirit would come. That's what he said. That in me... You may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, peace be with you because I'm the one who brings peace. It is of him that's described. He is the prince of peace. And then Jesus says, I will dwell with you. I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I am peace. I bring you peace. I want to restore you. Be restored. Do not disbelieve, but believe. I hope Jesus' words here resonate with you. And lastly, if you're a follower of Christ, are you living in the Spirit? It's hard to ignore the fact that the two chapters before Jesus' death, he is constantly talking about 
I'm going to go, but someone else is going to come. The helper will come. The advocate will come. The Spirit will come. The Holy Spirit. And he cannot come until I go. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 20, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. And then Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. That's debaucherous. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So what's the big deal about the resurrection? Well, John 20, 31 says it so well. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is not simply a traditional thing to do. We gather because we are believers in his name, a name that brings us hope in the midst of grief, a name that brings us peace in the midst of brokenness and disillusionment all around us. It is a name that gives us life, though we are dead. The empty tomb is a daily, not just an annual reminder, but a daily reminder of the work of Christ. I think the empty tomb is a beautiful picture. I think cemeteries now are a peaceful picture because it points me somewhere else, not just to the grave, but it points me to the one who conquers the grave. It points me to the empty tomb, though the tombs of the loved ones that I know are, are occupied I know that there's a promise in Scripture that says there is a place where you can go to meet them again. But more than meeting them, would your joy be in me whom you will see face to face and dine together, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. That's why the resurrection's a big deal. It's also a big deal because if there is no resurrection, all of this is pointless. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this, If Christ has not been raised and our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain, I would have just wasted 25 minutes of your time. Verse 17, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. So maybe you've been walking with the Lord for many, many years. Is that, is that the kind of confidence you have? Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And that is if there is no empty tomb. Praise God that when Mary ran in distress and curiosity and confusion to the tomb, that she did not find a body there. Instead, it was empty. Because Jesus did exactly what he told them that he would do as it was prophesied many, many years before and even at the very beginning of time that God would be with his people and walk with them and restore a people to himself. This is a Jesus who's calling you by name. Let's wonder at the empty tomb together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who have orchestrated, delicately 
written and executed the plans that you have set from the beginning of time. And though at many times our perspective is very skewed, God, we ask for your spirit to help us to understand and to see and and believe why the resurrection is so important. It is a hope to us who believe. And it is foolish, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it is foolishness to those who don't, but it is life and it is power for those that do. So God, today, would we be encouraged? And Lord, I definitely pray for those who come today curious and confused. Lord, would you speak their name and would you reveal to them who you are by your spirit? And would you fill your people, fill your church that we may be a witness and not forget the kingdom call in our lives. We ask this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.